Hello, it's Paul Scott again, coming at to you with part two of my uh, weekend podcast for Saturday 29th of April 2023. Uh, obviously, I'm a, um, a UK small caps investor. I've been doing it professionally now for over 20 years and commentator. And I write the small cap value reports on stockopedia.com with Graham Neary and occasional help from Roland Head. So this podcast, just about things I've jotted down on my notepad throughout the week, uh, re- rehashing really uh, just interesting bits of news and views that um, I thought were worth uh, coming back on. Now, delistings is is the big topic of this week after IBPO, I Energizer, last week. That was a disaster for anyone holding it, my commiserations. I talked about this in part one, so I won't repeat it. Um, <clears throat> but the big danger is obviously a hugely over-dominant major shareholder. It was 83% in that case. So I think anything over 50% from now on, I'm not going to touch. I mean, I, I didn't touch that type of thing anyway, but some people do. Um, <clears throat> takeover bids, we've had SureServe, a nice nice company actually, bid four. I also like Medica. I flagged that one up uh, three or four weeks ago. That got a bid as well. And um, now you've had a couple of companies saying they've had bid approaches, but it always seems to be terribly well-timed just before they issue really terrible results. So you do have to question some of these uh, announcements and read them carefully and think, well, is this real or is it uh, a little bit spurious? The obvious one is THG, the Hup Group, where um, one day before diabolical results came out, they announced they'd had a bid approach. But it did name the potential bidder, so that gives it credibility. And there's a tiny nano cap called Asimilar, which said it's delisting just because it's not economic for it to remain listed, which makes sense. So have a look at um, <clears throat> have a look at uh, the other part one of the podcast for a bit more detail on delistings. Oh, we also had a takeover bid for Numis, the investment bank stroke broker on Friday that Graham's been um, keen on for a while. So well done, Graham. You called that very well. Now, thinking more about some market dynamics, really, I've noticed that, you've probably noticed this too, that a lot of shares put in big, very large percentage moves up or down on news, important news items. A good example was that TPX Impact announcing two major contracts, and the price spiked up about 66% despite the fact that it's financially unstable and breached its covenants and got a waiver on the last day, 31st of March. So a precarious situation, that one. Um, But my point is, these big moves up on uh, news and on tips, where um, Simon Thompson recommends something or other, these spikes up often don't stick. Uh, So I think this is a trader's market at the moment. I think it's characterised by real massive lack of liquidity in small caps. It almost feels like the market's dead. A couple of days this week, I had to look at it and say, is it a bank holiday? You know, is the market actually open? (laughs) There's so few trades going through on small caps. It's just one of those fallow patches. These happen periodically after bear markets. And uh, arguably, we may be still in a bear market for small caps. I don't know. But there's a chronic lack of liquidity. And I think that I think we probably just go sideways with spikes up in things and traders then selling into the spike. So it's a trader's market at the moment. And those of us who are long term investors, we've just got to be patient. Okay, banking crisis or banking turmoil seemed to have gone uh, quieter, but then we've got another one with First Republic Bank in America has uh, announced a a run on deposits. 
I don't uh, study this closely. I just listen to John Authors and Matt Levine on Bloomberg. Their daily emails are, are, are nice summaries of what's going on. I think investors like me need to be aware of what's happening, but it's just the way the banking system is structured, that sometimes you get liquidity uh, issues, you get deposit run on deposits, and then the, the offending bank... Uh, nearly always a bank that has exhibited some weakness for some time, it has to be said, um, requires a bailout of some description. The issue is obviously, you know, depositors don't really have to worry. Warren Buffett was saying this. He says, you know, depositors will be fine. <coughs> the uh, federal in America and elsewhere, you know, you can't, you can't have depositors... Uh, losing out, because then the whole banking system just collapses, and you don't have any. You only have one bank left, basically HSBC. Everyone else has taken their money out of any other bank, and we all end up with HS in in H. You know that's the logical conclusion of bank runs if they're uh, allowed to continue. But anyway, it looks like First Republic is um, is on death row, and of course it's the shareholders that get wiped out, isn't it? And then there are also certain tranches of bondholders who might get. Uh, hit or wiped out completely. But depositors, very, very unlikely, I think, that depositors uh, are going to be hurt. But the, the it is logical, obviously, if you're concerned about a bank, to take your money out and put it into a, a more solid bank. Um, house builders, as I reported in the other podcast, are improving now, showing good signs from updates this week from Persimmon and Taylor Wimpy. Um, <clears throat> now, somebody flagged up to me a, a speech by Christine Lagarde where she was <coughs> stating the obvious, really, I mean, we've been aware of this issue for several years, that the world is splitting into two blocks, with um, the democracies centred around uh, America, and obviously with the EU sort of tagging along with that, you've got your democracies, and then the other block is uh, dictatorships, rogue states, um, centering around China, um, with Russia obviously looking increasingly like it's going to be a Chinese vassal state, and uh, uh, the 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 dictate the dictatorial um, block is sort of courting um, producers of a lot of raw materials, oil and gas, and precious metals, all those sorts of things. So it's 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 going back to a I think a, a, a Cold War type mentality, which is very dangerous, of course. And you can understand, can't you? Countries like Russia and China don't want to have the U.S. and the U.S. currency. Uh, controlling their own financial systems. So they want to do things differently. And the Chinese have built their own internet, of course, done it all separately from America. And I suppose in their position, you can't really blame them. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, Lagarde's speech, I haven't listened to it in full, but uh, this was in her capacity as the president of the ECB and a Council on Foreign Relations. She, apparently she gave this speech saying that uh, capital might have to be allocated differently in the West, um, and that we might have to see higher inflation as a result of reshoring production back to friendlier countries closer to home and reducing um, dollar dependence, which is uh, how the other block, the, the dictatorship's block, wants to go. So I thought this is all quite interesting, really. Um, I'll do some more research on that. But, you know, I think it's the, 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 the trends for us as investors is probably to look at companies which could benefit from reshoring. So I've seen a couple of those this week. Volex mentioned reshoring as something that benefited it in winning a big contract for its Mexican subsidiary um, because the, uh, the U.S. customer wants product made locally, doesn't want to have to be reliant on 
product coming from China. This, I think, is a big long-term trend that... Uh, I also looked at a, a problematic company called CT Automotive, which did a placing uh, this week at a deep discount. Um, that's one... I, I, I think it's too high risk at the moment because it's um, loss-making and, and in debt. But I think that might be an interesting one where it might be able to facilitate... It makes components for vehicles... Uh, it has got some a, a smattering of factories in different countries as well as in China, so it might benefit from car manufacturers again wanting to reshore production closer to home. So that's an interesting theme for everyone to um, to to think about. And I think going back to the macro picture for small caps, we we're in a market where you just get these fallow patches in between news flow, where the general drift I think in most shares in small caps is downwards. And we just have to live with that until um, then you get sometimes some absolutely lovely upsurges. Volex, again, was a good example of this. Everybody is, because the company hadn't announced anything for five months, which is far too long, um, people just assumed that it was trading badly and there'd be a profit warning. And then out comes a lovely positive trading update. And the shares went up basically 20 25%. And that one has held because they followed up with a big contract win announcement a few days later. So maybe it needs that. Maybe it needs the one, two, even a one, two, three in terms of positive news announcements bunched quite closely together to actually get a share price rise to stick. Because generally, share price rises, I'm finding, are not sticking. You're getting a condensed move up over two or three days, and then it just starts to drift as people bank their profits. So that's the type of market we're in at the moment. Uh, we just have to accept that. It'll pass. If you're a trader, if you think you can time these things, then good luck to you. I'm not, so I, I just hold through throughout. Uh, oh, Bank of England... Uh, clumsily has told us all that we just have to accept we're poorer and don't ask for any pay rises or it'll just fuel further inflation. Far be it from me to uh, ridicule the Bank of England, but I don't think uh, inflation is being driven by pay rises. There's no evidence it is. And in fact, pay rises are below inflation. So that's not the determining factor that's caused this current elevated level of inflation. It was caused by supply shocks combined with um, <coughs> too much money pumped into the system during the pandemic, which lev led to a 20% increase in the volume of goods trying to flow through ports because we couldn't spend money on holidays or services. So we all got this furlough money, or a lot of people did, and they just sat at home on the internet buying stuff, which obviously had to be made in China and shipped over here. The whole system got log jammed through a combination of excess demand and uh, supply shocks from lockdowns, particularly in China and so on. So that's what fundamentally caused the inflation. And the Fed, the chairman of the Fed said that. He said it was a collision of excess demand in the pandemic with supply chain shocks. That's why we've had higher inflation and a lot of um, a lot of uh, commodities. like as, And plus, of course, then uh, Putin invading Ukraine, causing the energy crisis, which made what would have probably been a relatively comfortable spike in inflation made it a lot bigger, uh, a much bigger spike. Now, some people are saying that it's becoming sticky, and certainly there's evidence in the UK that inflation is um, <clears throat> spreading into services. <clears throat> but the annualising effect of last year's huge increase in energy costs and raw materials prices that have generally all come down again, I think, you know, there's no doubt, you just, everybody 
all the serious forecasters are saying that, you know, they've crunched the numbers and yes, inflation is coming down from this summer onwards. So we're in a patch where we're going to have a few months where inflation in the UK will look sticky, but actually isn't. So um, that's what uh, the forecasters are saying and they're basing it, I think, on pretty sensible numbers. Whilst I do accept that some services costs have jumped up, I've heard in particular professional services, lawyers and accountants are just making a hay while the sun shines, apparently. I heard one auditor that's putting through a blanket doubling of audit fees and they haven't got enough staff. And look how many companies are missing their deadline for production of accounts at the moment. It used to be an absolute no-no to miss the date for publication of your accounts. You would just be, it almost be a resignation matter for the CFO if the accounts weren't published on time. Now it's just commonplace. An RNS comes out, oh, you know, the auditors have said they need two weeks longer to to finalise the numbers, it's completely commonplace now, and it doesn't indicate bad management necessarily. There's just, it's one of the many areas where the lockdowns have caused a lack of trained people, as the experienced people took early retirement during the pandemic and weren't replaced by new trainees. And you're seeing that in the conveyancing system, you're seeing that in the planning uh, departments that all the house buildings uh, companies are moaning about. Well, that combined with NIMBYs, of course, who, who block, who want to be, you know, kind and concerned about all the refugees. But then if anyone suggests building a housing estate down the road from them, they go berserk and won't have it. So, you know, people want their cake and eat it, don't they? So, yeah, Bank of England says we've just got to accept that we're poorer. And woe betide you if you ask for a pay rise. I think everyone should give that uh, a well-deserved uh, rude gesture. Of course, people are going to want pay rises. They, you know, and and the initial, the initial sort of opening gambit, if you like, from the unions is, oh, we want thirty-five percent. Well, that's just, you know, they know they're not going to get anything like that, and they probably settle for five percent plus some, some, some other perks. And that's the way it should be. I don't understand why they didn't just say, well, let's just say it to everyone. It's five percent for everyone. Sorry, we know that's real terms cut, but that's the fairest way of doing it. I don't know why they didn't do that, but anyway, they didn't. And do bear in mind these problems are the same everywhere. If you look on English language foreign newspapers, it's all the same problems. People going on strike, cost of living. You know, these are not UK problems. These are global problems. Now, government borrowing, I see, has come in at £139 billion for uh, year-ending March 2023. Uh, slightly below estimates, apparently. Um now, although obviously that's a lot of money, I don't know what the UK GDP is now. It must be, what is it, about two, two and a half trillion? I, I haven't got the exact figures to hand. So I think the deficit is something like six or seven percent of GDP, which is obviously a lot. Um, but if you look at inflation, obviously inflation will have eroded about 250 billion, 10 percent of two and a half trillion, will have eroded about 250 billion of debt in real terms. So adding on 139 million more is significantly less than what inflation has done to um, erode the uh, the pile of the existing bank debt, which, of course, about 900 billion of which is owned by the Bank of England. So it's not a crisis over government borrowing at all, um, in my opinion. And I think people who, who think it is a terrible crisis are, are, are not focusing on those two important points. One, that inflation erodes national debt in real terms by, by a huge amount, and um, what was the other point? Um, well, that, oh, and then obviously that a lot of the government debt is owned by the government itself through QE. So you net those off, and actually, 
government debt to GDP is only about 60%. It isn't a problem, so don't get stressed about it. Uh, what's this? Uh, oh, yeah, I was, I was doing some background reading on crypto, so-called cryptocurrencies, of course, worthless pieces of computer code, as I think of them. Um, <clears throat> or they're only worth what the greater fool is prepared to pay for them. Although it's lasted quite a long time, hasn't it? And, and uh, Bitcoin has recovered from, from, at least somewhat, from previous crashes. So uh, it's, it's proving a lot stickier than I thought, but it doesn't alter the fundamentals about it. It's not worth anything um, you know, on fundamentals. And it do, it's not backed by the, the tax-raising powers of governments. That's the key difference between cryptos and, um, and government-issued currency, fiat currencies. Anyway, apparently one in ten of the UK adults have owned cryptocurrencies at some point. One in ten! I thought that was staggeringly high numbers, so I just thought I'd share it with you. That'll probably be the, the trigger of the next banking crash when, um, you know, when these cryptos all uh, collapse, which I think is just inevitable. Um, it'll turn out that banks are on the hook for billions of pounds of personal loans to people who've borrowed to buy them. Um, not financial experts, but just average Joes tend to be the people who've got sucked into crypt cryptocurrencies, I believe. Oh, here we are. Yeah, Matt Levine's articles on Bloomberg are really, really good and easy to digest. So I just want to suggest people. They do, it's a daily free email from Bloomberg for Matt Levine and for John Authors. I think they're very good writers, very prolific, and it just saves me time not having to do my own research on topics. Their judgment's very good, I think. And you just get this relatively short daily email from both Good way of getting up to speed, so I recommend that. Oh, Brent crude apparently has dropped in price again to $77 on fears of a U.S. recession. It seems to be baked in now that the U.S. is, is, is heading towards a, a, a short and gentle um, recession. I don't think it's any reason particularly to panic. U.S. recessions tend to be brief and quite shallow. Now, here's an interesting one on the gambling sector. Um, quite a change of tone. The culture secretary in the UK said that gambling companies exploit addicts uh, and hit disproportionately hits poorer communities, which, of course, I mean, it's, self, it's obvious, isn't it? Isn't that self-evident? But I think that's quite a uh, an aggressive tone coming from an incumbent government ministers who oversees the sector. So, I mean, I tend not to invest in, in gambling companies at all. Not particularly for ethical reasons, um, although maybe subliminally it is. I don't know. I just I'd hardly ever invest in them. But um, I think maybe if you do, you need to be a little bit careful, given that there now could be a, a nasty headwind in terms of regulation if the culture secretary is actually able to do anything, which, of course, is the big question mark now over UK government ministers, isn't it? Uh, they don't seem to be in control of anything. Um Anyway, maybe that's a good thing, I don't know. Late audits now commonplace. Yes, we've covered that. Um, oh, with eight minutes to spare, Revolution Beauty, REVB, got out a statement saying that actually it's long, long overdue accounts um, are still not ready and it needs more time. So I'm not entirely sure what that means for its listing, whether it, at some point its listing actually gets completely cancelled. I don't know. But it, it sounds like they want to bring out their accounts, but they're going to need another month. And Hostmore put out results, M-O-R-E, uh, after the bell on Friday. Uh, nobody's looking a clock, as, as people call it. Um, <clears throat> it does have a going concern 
um, emphasis of matter in there that they would breach their bank covenants um, in a downside scenario. Um, not as bad as I thought, actually. I thought Coastmore was giving off signs that it was really at quite high risk of going bust. Um, net bank debt seems stubbornly high. It's going to hold it around the 32 million level. Um, the bank are playing ball. They've eased the covenants and extended the term to end of 2024. So it looks to me as if Hostmore um, survives to fight another day, but still financially distressed and likely to remain so for some time. I think that's pretty much it for the macro factors. So obviously the main issues of the day, as I say every week, is inflation. I'll explain the reasons why I think um that's not something to be particularly concerned about, and everybody's aware of it. Companies have factored it all in. You've now got very, very positive tailwinds for negative inflation coming through, um, simply because all the big, uh, the big annualised, um, highly inflationary things happened last year up to about October last year, and they'll be dropping out with each month's comparatives. So by October, November, twenty-three. Uh, the headline rate of inflation should be much, much lower. That's just, you know, looking at the maths. That's not making an opinion on anything. Um, it, you know, unless we have some huge additional energy shock, I can't see um, what would change that. So I think it's pretty much baked in that inflation, yes, is is will be falling quite substantially in the second half of this year. That's what the Bank of England is saying, and all the numbers are saying that as well. So don't worry about inflation uh, getting sticky, is my opinion. Could be wrong, but I think there's good reasons for, for my opinions on that. Um, what else is it? Oh, yes, I mean, cost headwinds. Most companies are now saying that inflation inflationary pressures are abating. Huge drop in uh, container shipping cost is going to be a big, big benefit for, uh, say, the large non-food retailers. Um, you know, your Halfords, your, uh, your, your DIY chains, all of these companies that bring in a, in a lot of very bulky stuff from the Far East are going to be saving multiple millions this year as as the, the the cost of freight drops which is good for their profit margin so i think even though consumer demand might be a bit subdued although the consumer confidence numbers are improving strongly and a hell of a lot of people are getting big pay rises from this month um including all benefits recipients pensioners getting 10 percent from this from now end of april onwards i think you'll get a good upsurge in consumer spending i think it'll surprise all the doomsters for that precise reason, people people have adjusted to higher energy prices. Energy prices are going to be coming down. They already are for businesses. There's actually good reasons to be mildly optimistic, I would say, when you put all these factors together. I think, I think the economy and a lot of companies could perform better than people expect. Um, although I'm generally, as always, looking for companies where the forecasts are set conservatively and assume... Um, that profit's going to drop in 2023, and then you look for outperformance, don't you? That's the way you want it set up. You don't want really ambitious, uh, excessive forecasts that companies are desperately trying to stretch to achieve. You want it other, other, the other way around, easy targets. Um, that way you, you'll be hit by fewer profit warnings if you just check that broker consensus chart on Stockopedia. Really, really useful. You can see what the trend is of how broker forecasts have changed. Uh, and it's all still guesswork, of course. You know, the brokers don't know how companies are going to perform. The companies themselves don't know often how they're going to perform. 
Uh, again, repeating the point every week, small cap valuations in some port are really attractively low. And it's precisely when everyone's gloomy and people are leaving the market. These are all, you know, these are all perfect signals of uh, that we're at or near a market low. Um, I've seen all this stuff before several times, and it's when people are, you know, really despondent, where you've got hardly any liquidity in the market, you've got bombed out valuations that don't seem to significantly rise, even when there's great news, or they or they spike up and then drift back down again. These are all symptoms of us being at or near a market low for small caps, in my opinion. And I think when you combine that with the the actually quite positive macro tailwinds that inflation's coming down that interest rates are probably peaked or nearly peaked uh, you've got signs of recovery in the housing market i'm bullish i'm bullish precisely because the macro things are all in the price and actually there's signs of improvement coming and most companies are reporting in line or even some ahead of you know we're not getting that many profit warnings um which all points i think towards Thing conditions and the outlook being better than the market thinks. So I think this is a time to to hold your nerve, um, to be greedy when others are, are scared, as they say, and all those old, old adages. I think I'm hopefully not being delusional here, but I think I've backed up my view with, with, with pretty sane reasons to be actually quietly bullish about the prospects. Maybe nothing will happen for a little while. You've just got to be patient, have you? I'm getting really impatient. I'm looking at my portfolio every day. Say, say for example, with Reynolds, put out what I thought were terrific results, really good outlook, totally bombed out valuation. It shot up on the results, and it's just drifting again. It, you know, the, the, the volume just dries up within a couple of days. So I bought some more, trimmed a, a couple of other positions and bought some more because I think it's just a one-way bet, actually, Reynolds. And quite a few other things in my portfolio, I just look at them, I think that's going to be double or more once market conditions are back to normal and the economy's, you know, the, the inflation shock has receded. And, uh, you know, I so, yeah, I think when it's when things are, look bad, but valuations are on the floor and you've actually got signs of improving trends at the moment, which I think we do have, that's the time to be bullish, isn't it? So I hope I'm right, because it's all educated guesswork, isn't it? Anyway, that's probably it for now. Sorry if this is all a bit repetitive, but, the, you know, the key points are the key points, aren't they? They don't change from one week to another, generally. So, uh, right, I'll leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. Have a lovely week, and enjoy the bank holidays coming up. Bye for now. Bye.